This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. If you would turn with me to Psalm 67, we're going to read that psalm that we just sang together. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you once again for this morning, for this opportunity to gather as your people to praise you. This psalm calls us to join together and to worship your name, to glorify you because you are worthy, because you are great, because you are holy, and because you are gracious toward us. So Lord, help us to do that. We can't do it perfectly without you. We need you. We need you to help us, to put the words in our mouths, to change and shape our hearts so that we would desire to praise you, that we would desire to worship you with all that we are. Help us to do that this morning, Lord. Lord, we also thank you that you've given us this opportunity, that you have made the way so that we can come before you with all of our needs and our concerns and our cares. So we bring before you all of those people in this congregation and around us, our family members, our friends who are, who are struggling, who are hurting, who are facing difficult circumstances in life. We pray that you would provide healing, that you would provide comfort, that you would provide, above all, hope in knowing that we belong to you. God, we pray that you would meet each person in the place where they're at with the needs that they have. God, we pray for those who are sick, for those who are recovering from from surgeries and from procedures. We know there are many. We pray that you would give them quick recovery, that they'd be able to go back to uh, their life as, uh, as it was and the things that they need to be able to do. We pray that you would provide for them in the midst of recovery that they would have all that they need, that they would know that they are loved and cared for, yes, by you, but also by their family, the people of God. We pray that we would love each other well as people are recovering, as people are dealing with sicknesses and illnesses. Lord, drive us to prayer. Drive us to care for each other. Help us to look outside of just ourselves and to see the needs of the people around us. And Lord, help us to glorify you in doing that. God, we look forward to the fall season as we get to kick things off and and ministries and Sunday school and all of those things again. We pray that they would go smoothly. We pray that, uh, that there would be a lot of learning done, that we would grow together, that we would learn more of who you are and what you're calling us to be. We pray that those classes would be a blessing to the students and to the, the people who go to the classes, also that they would be a blessing to the teachers and the volunteers and all of the people that it takes to, to run these ministries. God, we pray uh, that, that we would be blessed 
and that you would be glorified through those things. We pray for uh, the kickoff next week, that you'd bring people here, that you would give us safety and a good time of fellowship together. Lord, we thank you for all that you have done in this congregation and all the things, the ways that you've showed yourself faithful. Lord, remind us of those things when we're tempted to doubt, when we're tempted to fear, when we're tempted to wonder if you're really working. Lord, remind us of all those things that you've already done in our lives and in our church and in the lives of those around us. And then, Lord, through that, remind us to praise you. Remind us to glorify you. Remind us to be thankful and grateful for all of those ways that you have showed yourself to be faithful. God, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would help my words to be only those that you desire for me to say, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would take the words of Scripture and apply them to our hearts, that you'd teach us, that you would make us the people that you have desired for us to be. God, I pray that your name would be lifted up, that you would be glorified in everything that happens here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I grew up in the mid-90s, or I was a teenager in the, in the 90s, and there was a song that came out in 1996 that was pretty popular, and I don't recommend that you go listen to it, but it did kind of, it's more than the song itself, it's the idea that the song uh, tried to get across, that people grabbed onto. So now there's a phrase that even if you haven't heard the song, you probably know the phrase, only God can judge me. Somebody in your life has said that at some point. Only God can judge me. And the idea is, you don't know my heart, so you can't judge me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what's caused me to do the things that I do, so you can't judge me. Or even more than that is the idea that you can't tell me what to do. Or you can't tell me what I should or shouldn't do, because people don't like to be judged. So then the idea came that, only God can judge me, so I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to live my life the way that I'm going to live my life, and I'll take it up with God on the last day. Well, the song had it partially right. God is the judge. But if you really understand that God is the judge, and if you really understand who God is, then there's no way that we can just say, I'm going to go about doing my business, do the things that I do, and take it up with God. Because if we really understand that God is judge, it will lead us to change. It will lead to a response. And what Psalm 67 tells us this morning is that it will lead us. A true understanding that God is judge should lead all people to praise him. A true understanding that God is judge should lead all people to praise him. Now, uh, the Psalms are Hebrew poetry. They're songs. They're poems. And the poets, uh, when they were writing the Psalms, they didn't use rhyming the way that we do. They would use other things to get their point across. They would use techniques like repeating things, words and phrases, or they would even use the way that the psalms are arranged to make sure that our eyes go right to the center point of what they want to say. And this psalm does that really clearly in that everything in it points us to the center of this psalm, to the verse where it says, for you judge the people with equity. That's what the psalmist wants us to see. But one of the things that drives us to that is on either side of that. If you look at verse 3 and verse 5, it's the exact same phrase. You can call it a chorus. These are songs. It's a chorus. And it says, let the peoples praise you, O God. 
Let all the peoples praise you. The psalmist here is praying, he's singing, he's asking God that all people will glorify him. He wants God to be glorified. He recognizes that that is the very reason that people were created, was to glorify God, to praise God. We have kids, and uh, we start them off on the kids' catechism. So it's a, a, an easier version of the catechism. And the first questions are, one, who made you? God did. Then what else did God make? God made all things. And then why did God make you and all things? For his own glory. We're starting our kids off, and this is wise, it's good. We're starting our kids off understanding that everything in all creation was designed to glorify God. It was made to glorify God. That means that all of humanity was designed to glorify God. We all bear the image of God. That's something that makes us unique from the rest of creation. So all of creation was designed to glorify God. There's a, a, a plain old ordinary rock sitting in a quarry somewhere that no human may ever see, but that rock glorifies God because it simply does what it was made to do. It's the rock that God created it to be. The animals, the trees, the forests, the deserts, all of it, it glorifies God simply because it is what it's supposed to be and it does what it's supposed to do. Humans are unique and we're the only creation that can intentionally choose to glorify God, to praise God. Even my dog cannot wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm going to praise God this morning. No, my dog just gets up and wants to know who's going to let her out and who's going to give her food. We have the ability to choose whether or not we're going to glorify God as we were created. Westminster Confession helps us even more with this, or the, the shorter catechism. Question one, we've probably heard it thousands of times, but what is the chief end? What is the primary purpose of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We were made to glorify God. Now notice the, cate the way that the catechism says it is not what is the chief end of every Christian. It'd be easy to answer it that way. Of course, every Christian's job is to glorify God. That's what we were made for. It says, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of all humanity? All, create, all of mankind was created to glorify God. Every single one of us. And the psalmist understands this. That's why in this psalm, his prayer is that all people would praise God. He's wanting all people to fulfill the thing that they were made to do, to praise God. When he says that, it's more than just uh, uh, praising God with our lips. It's more than just saying, yes, we praise God. It's the fact that our lives, all that we are, is lived in praise for him. God calls us to praise him, to live for him with our lips and with our lives. That's what it is to praise God. That's what it is to glorify God. That's what it is to do what he made us to do. And when we don't do that, we're damaging ourselves. We're not being what we were created to be. We're not doing what's best for us. And it's a tragedy when things don't do what they were made to do. So it's a tragedy when somebody goes out and buys a brand new $500,000 Ford GT and takes it out and drives it no faster than 35 miles an hour. That car was made to go fast. 
It's sad when it doesn't get to. It's not doing the thing that it was created to do. The sad reality is that people don't praise God. There are millions of people in this world right now who are not glorifying God, not praising God, not responding to their creator the way that they should. Because they're worshiping something else. See, we were created to praise God, but because of sin, because of the fall, we choose other things to praise. All of us are going to worship something. All of us are going to direct our affection and our adoration towards something. But so many of us choose things that are lesser, that are worthless. Whether it's money or power or relationships or whatever other things, we think this thing is the thing that I'm going to praise. And so many millions of people are praising something other than God. And they think, why on earth? Should I praise this God that I can't see? Because I can get all this stuff that I want without him. These gods are fine for me. Why on earth should I praise this God that you're telling me, that the psalmist is telling me that I should praise? And that's what the psalmist does. That's why this verse at the very center of it is so important, because he tells us why we should praise God. Why all of the nations, why everyone on earth should praise God. Look at verse 4 with me. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations on earth. Listen to those words. He's calling us, he's calling all the nations to be glad and sing for joy. Those are words that we miss a lot. Gladness and joy, upbeat, recognizing that God is good and we should praise him. And then the reason for you judge the peoples with equity. What is the first thing that you think of when you think about judgment? My guess is it's not gladness and joy. We don't like judgment. In fact, I think most of us do everything that we can to avoid it. We don't want people to judge us. We don't want anyone telling us you should or shouldn't do this. Especially in our individualistic society. We want to live our lives the way that we want to live our lives and nobody judge me. So why would it be good that God judges? Why can the psalmist say that all nations should be glad and sing for joy because God judges? In verse 4, it says that he judges the people with equity. The ESV says equity. Some other versions say righteousness or uprightness. The idea is that God is perfectly just. Now, we live in a culture where justice is a big deal. You turn on the news, you will hear it all the time. If you read the internet, it's all over the place. We want justice. The problem is, when humans, when we talk about justice, we've got all sorts of different views about what justice is. And it's all skewed based on uh, who we are, where we grew up, what nationality we are, what, uh, what our life experiences are. We want justice, though. But maybe when there's a human judge, they get the wrong information. So justice doesn't get done. But we want justice. The good news is that God is perfectly just and God doesn't suffer from those things that we suffer from. God sees everything exactly how it is. 
God does not suffer from misinformation. So we don't have to worry about him making a false judgment. We don't have to worry about him making a mistake. Whatever he decides, whatever he declares will be perfectly just. So in a world that wants justice, it's good news that God is the judge. Because justice will be done. And the good news is that he judges every person that has ever lived according to the same standard. There's no leg up because you happen to be born in the right place. It doesn't matter your race, your gender, your, how much money is in your bank account, the way that you were raised. None of that matters. Because we're all judged on the same standard. That standard is perfection. That standard is holiness. See, God is holy. God is perfect. God cannot abide with sin. God cannot overlook and ignore sin. God must judge sin because he's holy. He's called us to live holy. So if you think, like Tupac, that you're going to stand before God on the last day and say, I lived my life, now let's deal with it, you better be perfect. You better be sinless or else you have no hope of reward. You have hope only of punishment because even one sin makes us liable to judgment because God is perfectly holy and just. He will judge sin. And Romans 3.23 tells us how many of us have failed to meet this standard. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That same all that the psalmist in Psalm 67 is saying, let all the people praise him, for you judge with equity. Let all the people praise him. All of those people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one person on earth, there's not one person in this room that could stand before God on their own merits and say that they deserve to be rewarded. In fact, on that day when we do stand before God, and we see him in all of his holiness, in all of his perfection, we will understand more clearly than ever just how much we all deserve death. We all deserve punishment. So how is it that the psalmist can say we should all rejoice and praise because God is the judge? How can he say that that's good news? It's because of the grace that God offers to us in Jesus. Look at verse 1 of the psalm. The psalmist asks, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace means not only that we don't get the punishment that we deserve, but we get rewards. We share in the inheritance of Christ. We are blessed We are brought into relationship with God even though we deserve only death. The psalmist asks for grace. He says, make your face shine upon us. That's a way of saying, look on us with favor. In relationship. Like a mother looks at her newborn child and there's that that look, that know, that, that appreciation, that there's a relationship that can't be broken. Make your face shine upon us. The psalmist is asking for grace and relationship with God. 
Even back then, these thousands of years before Jesus came on earth, he's asking for this. And all of that that he's asking for is fulfilled in Christ. We see the grace of God in Christ because Jesus came and he did what we just said all of us have failed to do. He actually lived up to that perfect standard. Jesus never earned judgment and condemnation for himself. Yet he died. He suffered. He took all of that condemnation that we deserve, every single one of us, on himself so that we can be blessed, so that the face of God would shine upon us, so that we can be in relationship with the Father, so that when we're judged, it's good news for us. Jesus did that. Apart from Jesus, the judgment of God is a scary, scary thing. But because of Jesus, we can rejoice in it because God is a gracious and good judge. It's good news for all people because we can all be judged in Christ. That way is made open for everyone. We can rejoice because that way of salvation, that way to be judged as righteous, is the same whether you're a politician or a prostitute, whether you're a preschool teacher or a pastor. The way to salvation is the same. Turn from those false gods that you have been worshiping and praising and turn toward the living and true God. Put your faith in Christ and be judged in Christ. The call isn't to get everything right, to get yourself clean, to be perfect. The call isn't that you have to understand everything perfectly that the Bible teaches. The call is to put your faith in Christ. The call is to turn from those false gods and to turn to the living and true God. Ask for his grace. Ask for his face to shine upon us in Christ. And that call has gone out to all people. It's gone out to all nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. There's nobody that's left out of that call. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, all the way to today. We go back to the Old Testament and remember Ruth. Ruth was a pagan woman. Her husband died and she's now left with her Hebrew mother-in-law who is going to go back to Israel. And Ruth says, I'm going to go with you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. In this instance, she is turning from the pagan gods and turning to the living and true God. Not only does God accept her, but Ruth is then the ancestor of King David, who is the ancestor of Jesus himself. God took this pagan woman and put her in the line of Christ. She's part of the all nations that should praise God. Go back further, look at Rahab. If you remember, the, the, the people of Israel were going in to spy out the land of Jericho to see if they could conquer it. And Rahab recognizes what God's doing. And she hides the spies. She protects the spies. And she says this, The Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She recognizes God as God. She turns from those false gods into the living and true God. She praises God as she was made to do. And now this woman, this prostitute, one of the least likely to be saved, is listed in Hebrews 11 alongside people like Abraham and Moses as heroes of the faith. 
She put her faith in the right place. God has always been willing to save those that would turn from their false gods and to him and put their trust in him. It's the same for us today. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There's that word, all, again. Everyone on earth is invited to put their faith in Christ. Even those who seem the most lost, even who those who we can all think of somebody right now has rejected our offer of the gospel over and over again, that call is still there to them. That all would reach repentance. But notice also that word repentance. In order to follow Christ, we can't do what the world wants to do. We often want to give lip service and say, yes, I believe in God, I'm going to follow God, but I'm still going to do all this other garbage that I've been doing. I'm still going to worship all of these gods that I've been worshiping, that I've been putting my hope and my faith in. We can't do that. God calls us to turn from those things and to him. In order to have God's face shine upon us, it's got to be that he's the only one that we're looking to. That's what the psalmist wants. Not just that everybody would give God lip service, that everybody would say the right things or know the right things, but that all of the people of the world would repent of their sin and that they would praise the one true God. That's what the psalmist desires. And it's because God is judge, and it's because God is just, and it's because God is gracious that he says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Now don't forget, when he says all, that means all of us. It's easy for us to sit here, if our faith is in Christ, and think, yes, there are all of these people out in the world who don't yet know Jesus, and we want them to praise God, and we absolutely do. But don't forget that we're called to respond. We're called to to remember that God is judge and that we're going to stand before him. And if we're in Christ, we're going to receive reward. And because of that, if we really understand that, we should praise God so much more fervently than anyone else on earth. We should be the first to lift up our voices to him. We should be the first to respond in gladness and joy like the psalmist calls us to. If we understand that we deserve death, but we get life in Christ, we should praise God passionately and fervently with all of our hearts. We should be glad and filled with joy, but yet we so often are tempted to try and have it both ways. We so often are tempted to take our eyes and put them on lesser things. When we do that, we don't fulfill the purpose that God created us for. We, as those who have been saved, should be the first to praise God. And then, as we recognize God as a gracious and good judge, then we should pray for the salvation of all peoples. We should join in with the psalmist. Say, let all the peoples praise you. No matter their background, no matter how they smell, no matter how they look, no matter what their beliefs are at the moment let all the people praise you god will bring all sorts of people into his kingdom and save them and change them and make 
them his. So that means that as we pray, we should be praying for the members of the Taliban as much as we're praying for our neighbors. It means that we should be praying for those politicians who stand for everything that you're against as much as you pray for your children. We should be praying that all peoples would come in to the kingdom of God. We should rejoice when we see people who aren't like us sitting in these pews and praising God with us together. We should desire that. We should pray for that faithfully. It also means that you can confidently offer the presentation of the gospel to all people. It is not our job to try and figure out who's predestined. We believe that God has to change people's hearts. But it's not our job to try and figure out who that's going to be. It is our job to present the gospel, the good news that we can be judged in Jesus Christ and not on our own merits to all peoples. And we can do that confidently, knowing that God is faithful to use his word, to use the truth to draw people to himself. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. We've been talking this summer about wisdom. We've been looking at the wisdom literature, Psalms and Proverbs and uh, Ecclesiastes, these books that show us how do we live out the faith? How do we live out what Scripture teaches us? One way to, to define wisdom, to look at wisdom, is knowledge applied. And it's real easy to take all of this that we know in Scripture, especially if you've grown up in the church. We've got a lot of knowledge. We know a lot about who God is. This is not the first time that most of you have heard that God is judge. But does that truth, does that reality lead you to respond in an appropriate way? Does knowing that God is judge lead you to praise because he's a gracious and just judge? It should. If it doesn't, we're not applying that knowledge the way that we should. Because the reality is there is going to come a day where every single one of us is going to stand before this holy and just God. And every one of us is going to be judged. We will be judged either on our own merits, whether or not we lived up to the standard of God's perfection and holiness in church, no one has. Or we'll be judged on the merits of Christ. The one who did what we couldn't do to take the penalty for each of us. And I hope that we're praying that more and more people would be judged in Christ and not on their own. Do our hearts break for those family members and those neighbors and those people around us who are on their way to judgment on their own? We should desire as the people of God that all the people would praise God because that grace is available for all people. It's reason for us to respond in praise that we have been saved and that we have been brought into that family and that relationship with God. And it's reason for us to pour out our hearts to God that he would save those who are lost. Oh, that we would be able to pray Every day with the psalmist, may all the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. Let's pray. God, you are a good and gracious God. 
We stand in awe before you because we know that we deserve judgment and punishment, and yet you give us grace upon grace in your Son, Jesus. Lord, help us to be joyful as people who have been saved, as people who have been changed, as people who have been brought out of darkness into light. And God, may that joy and may that gladness spill over into our prayers. May it spill over into our conversations with our neighbors, <clears throat> with our coworkers, with those who are far from you. And God, may we see the fruit people coming into relationship with you, of people coming into your kingdom. May we in the days and the weeks and the months to come be worshiping alongside people from every tribe and nation, from different backgrounds. Lord, let all the people praise you. Let that be our desire. Let that be our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.